Welcome, everyone, to episode 100 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and I can't believe that we're already at episode 100. It feels like I just started this podcast, but just over two years later, and we're already at such a big milestone. And we're creeping up on 100,000 total plays as well. I need about 30,000 to go. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Whether this is your 100th episode or your first, thank you for spending a part of your day listening to me talk for just a little bit. Doing this show full-time is my goal, and I can't do it without all of you. Make sure to share with all your friends and family that like true crime and paranormal stories. In case you're new, I also have a Patreon with exclusive episodes that I upload once a month. And once I can do this full-time, there will be bonus episodes uploaded once a week and other content that I'm working on behind the scenes. But for now, let's get into today's episode. First, we're going to hear about Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. Then, we have a brand new listener story that was emailed to me. But for now, everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Dennis Rader, also known as BTK, an abbreviation that he gave himself for bind, torture, and kill. He was a serial killer who murdered at least 10 people in Wichita and Park City, Kansas between 1974 and 1991. Although Dennis occasionally killed or attempted to kill men and children, he typically targeted women. His victims were often bound, sometimes with objects from their homes, and either suffocated with a plastic bag or manually strangled with a ligature. In addition, Dennis stole keepsakes from his female victims, including underwear, driver's licenses, and personal items. He would often send taunting letters to the police and media describing the details of his crimes. After a 13-year hiatus, he resumed sending letters in 2004, leading to his 2005 arrest and subsequent guilty plea. He is currently serving 10 consecutive life sentences at the El Dorado Correctional Facility. Dennis Rader was born in Pittsburgh, Kansas on March 9, 1945, to bookkeeper Dorothy May Rader 
and a Kansas gas service worker, William Elvin Rader, the eldest of four sons. Dennis grew up in Wichita. Both of his parents worked long hours and they paid little attention to their children at home. Dennis would later describe feeling ignored by his mother in particular and resenting her for it. From a young age, Dennis harbored sadistic sexual fantasies about torturing trapped and helpless women. He also exhibited zoo sadism by torturing, killing, and hanging small animals. Dennis acted out sexual fetishes for voyeurism, autoerotic asphyxiation, and cross-dressing. He often spied on female neighbors while dressed in women's clothing, including women's underwear that he had stolen, and he masturbated with ropes or other bindings around his arms and neck. Years later, during his, quote, cooling-off periods between murders, Dennis would take pictures of himself wearing women's clothes and a female mask while bound. He later admitted that he was pretending to be his victims as part of a sexual fantasy. However, Dennis kept his sexual proclivities well hidden, and he was widely regarded in his community as a, quote, normal, polite, and well-mannered person. After graduating from Wichita Heights High School, Dennis attended Kansas Wesleyan University, and he received only mediocre grades and dropped out after only a year. Dennis would also serve in the United States Air Force from 1966 to 1970. On discharge, he moved to Park City, a suburb of Wichita, where he worked in the meat department of an IGA supermarket where his mother was a bookkeeper. Dennis married Paula Dietz on May 22, 1971, and they had two children, Carrie and Brian. He attended Butler County Community College in El Dorado, earning an associate degree in electronics engineering technology in 1973. He then enrolled at Wichita State University and graduated in 1979 with a Bachelor of Science degree majoring in administration of justice. Dennis initially worked as an assembler for the Coleman Company, an outdoor supply company. He then worked at the Wichita-based office of ADT Security Services from 1974 to 1988, where he installed security alarms as part of his job, in many cases for homeowners concerned about the BTK killings. Dennis was a census field operations supervisor for the Wichita area in 1989 before the 1990 federal census. In May 1991, Dennis became a dog catcher and a compliance officer in Park City. In this position, neighbors recalled him as being sometimes overzealous and extremely strict, as well as taking special pleasure in bullying and harassing single women. One neighbor complained that he killed her dog for no reason. Dennis was a member of the Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita and had been elected president of the church council. He was also a Cub Scout leader. By the 2000s, the public's memories of the murders had begun to fade. Local author Robert Beatty began writing a book about the killings 
after being shocked that so many young people he spoke to had never heard of them. Hungry for attention, Dennis re-emerged as BTK in 2004 after learning that a book was being written. On July 26, 2005, after Dennis's arrest, his wife was granted an emergency divorce, waiving the normal 60-day waiting period. In an interview with ABC News in 2019, Raider's daughter Carrie said that she still writes to her father and has now forgiven him, but still struggles to reconcile him with the BTK killer, stating her childhood seemed normal and they were a normal American family. On January 15, 1974, four members of the Otero family were murdered in Wichita, Kansas. The victims were Joseph Otero Sr., Julia Marie Otero, Joseph Otero II, and Josephine Otero. Their bodies were discovered by the family's three older children who had been at school at the time of the killings. After his 2005 arrest, Dennis confessed to killing the Otero family. He claimed that he first targeted the family two months prior to their murders when he spotted Julie leaving to take her children to school and followed them. On the morning of January 15th, Dennis cut the phone lines and entered the Otero residence when Joey opened the back door for the family dog. He told the Otero family that he was a, quote, wanted man in California before he ordered them to lie on the living room floor at gunpoint. He then led the family into a bedroom and tied them with rope that he had prepared. Joseph and Joey were on the floor while Julie and Josie were on the bed. The wrists and feet of Joseph and Julie were restrained. Joseph's head was covered by a plastic bag, which Dennis then secured with ropes, but after he chewed a hole in the bag. Another bag was tightened over his head, which caused Joseph to slowly suffocate to death. Dennis attempted to strangle Julie, and according to Dennis, Mrs. Otero woke back up. She was pretty upset with, what, with what's going on. She asked me to save her son, so I actually had taken the bag off, and she screamed, You killed my boy, you killed my boy. And she actually said, God have mercy on your soul. It's what she said, and I put her down permanently, strangling her to death with rope. With both parents dead, Dennis then also placed another plastic bag with two t-shirts and an additional bag over it on Joey's head and watched as he thrashed about while being suffocated. Afterward, Dennis led Josie down into the basement where he hanged her with a noose from a pipe. Police later found Dennis's semen near her partially clothed body. Dennis then eventually wrote a letter that he stashed inside an engineering book in the Wichita Public Library in October 1974, describing in detail the killing of the Otero family. On April 4, 1974, Dennis broke into the Wichita home of 21-year-old Catherine Doreen Bright through her screen door but was taken aback to discover her 19-year-old brother, Kevin, was also present in the property.
He transported Catherine to another bedroom and tied her down after forcing Kevin, who was being held at gunpoint, to restrain his sister with a rope Dennis had provided. He then attempted to strangle Catherine to death before stabbing her three times in the back and lower abdomen with a knife when she struggled too much. Kevin was also strangled and shot in the head, but he survived by feigning death and later escaping. On March 17, 1977, 25-year-old Shirley Ruth Relford was found dead in her Wichita home. Dennis was pursuing Relford and located her by following her five-year-old son home. Relford had not been feeling well and had sent the boy out for soup. Dennis entered their residence and he pulled a handgun out from under his jacket, frightening the family. After tying her three children up, and locking them in the bathroom. Dennis then took Relford to the back bedroom. Dennis had Shirley restrained while she vomited before tying her legs to her bedpost. He then strangled her with rope after placing a plastic bag over her head while her children screamed and banged down the hallway. Similar to the Otero murders, Dennis intended to murder the children, although they were ultimately able to escape before he could do so. When Dennis noticed 25-year-old Nancy and Joe Fox going into her Wichita home, he marked her as a potential victim, and he began stalking her. On December 8, 1977, Dennis knocked at her door. When nobody answered, he cut the phone lines before breaking in to wait for Fox in her kitchen. Fox's murder would be described by Dennis as what I call a perfect, a perfect hit. Although she gave me a lot of verbal static, she cooperated. She didn't fight me. I had complete control of her. That's why it was one of the more, more enjoyable kills, as I call them. Dennis killed Fox by strangling her with his belt on her bed. Although before she died, Dennis told her that he was responsible for the prior Otero murders. The following day, Dennis called the police from a phone booth, telling them that they would find Fox's body at her home. In early 1978, Dennis sent another letter to television station KAKE in Wichita, claiming responsibility for the murders of the Oteros, Bright, Vivian Relford, and Fox. He suggested many possible names for himself, including BTK. He demanded media attention in the second later, saying, How many do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention? A poem was enclosed titled, Oh Death to Nancy, a parody of the lyrics to the American folk song, Oh Death. In the letter, he claimed to be driven to kill by Factor X, which he characterized as a supernatural element that also motivated Jack the Ripper the Son of Sam, and the Hillside Stranglers. During this time, Dennis also intended to have killed others, such as 63-year-old Anna Williams, who in 1979 escaped death by returning home much later than expected. Dennis explained during his confession that he became obsessed with Williams and was absolutely livid when she evaded him. 
He spent hours waiting at her home, but became impatient and left when she did not return home from visiting friends. Marnie Hedge, age 53, was found on May 5, 1985, at East 53rd Street North between North Webb Road and North Greenwich Road in Wichita. Dennis killed her on April 27 and took her dead body to Christ Lutheran Church, where he was the president of the church council. There, he photographed her body in various bondage positions. He had previously stored black plastic sheets and other materials at the church in preparation for the murder and then later dumped the body in a remote ditch. Two women that Dennis stalked in the 1980s and one whom he stalked in the mid-90s filed restraining orders against him. One of them also changed her address to avoid him. On September 16, 1986, Dennis strangled 28-year-old Vicki Lynn Wergel, W-E-G-E-R-L-E, to death while with a nylon stocking at her house in Wichita. He entered the residence by pretending to be a telephone repairman. He rearranged her clothes post-mortem, and he took a number of photographs of her nude body. Dennis's final victim, 62-year-old Dolores Erline, Davis was found dead on February 1st, 1991 at West 117th Street North and North Meridian Street in Park City, Kansas. Dennis had killed her on January 19th by strangling her with pantyhose. On August 23rd, 2023, the Associated Press reported that Dennis was considered the prime suspect in two further killings in Oklahoma and Missouri. Authorities discovered possible trophies from victims after launching a search for evidence at his former Kansas home, resulting in the investigation of Dennis's potential involvement in additional unsolved disappearances and murders. 16-year-old Cynthia Dawn Kinney was last seen in Osage, Oklahoma on June 23, 1976 at an Osage laundromat. Witnesses said, that she left the laundromat at 9.30 a.m. and got into a faded beige 1965 Plymouth Belvedere. In 2003, the Osage Sheriff, Eddie Verdon, claimed that Dennis was identified as a prime suspect after it was determined that he was involved in the Boy Scouts in the area, and it was learned that he also included the phrase, Bad Wash Day, in his writings. A bank was also having new ADT alarms installed across the street from the laundromat when Kenny went missing. Dennis was a regional installer for ADT at the time. Furthermore, he allegedly claimed to have, quote, fantasized about kidnapping a girl from a laundromat. Dennis has denied involvement in the murder. Sheriff Verdon has stated he believes... Dennis's denial is because being tied to a murder in Oklahoma could open him up to retrial and the death penalty. 22-year-old Shauna Beth Garber, formerly known as Grace Doe, was found murdered in McDonald County, Missouri on December 2, 1990. An autopsy revealed that she had been raped, strangled, and hogtied with six different types of cords about two months before her body was found. 
Garber went missing from Topeka, Kansas on November 3rd, and her, her remains were identified in 2021. In 2023, authorities announced that Dennis was the prime suspect in Shauna's murder due to photographic evidence found in one of his journals which tied him to the crime scene. By 2004, the investigation of the BTK killer was considered a cold case. Then, Dennis initiated a series of 11 communications to the local media. This activity led directly to his arrest in February 2005. In March 2004, the Wichita Eagle received a letter from someone using the name Bill Thomas Kilman. The author of the letter claimed that he had murdered Vicki Werg... It's that last name again. <laughs> On September 16, 1986, and enclosed photographs of the crime scene and a photocopy of her driver's license, which had been stolen at the time of the crime. Before this, it had not been definitively established that Vicky was killed by BTK. DNA collected from under Vicky's fingernails provided police with previously unknown evidence. They then began DNA testing hundreds of men in an effort to find the serial killer. Although more than 1,300 DNA samples were taken and later destroyed by a court order. In May 2004, television station KAKE in Wichita received a letter with chapter headings for the quote BTK story, fake IDs, and a word puzzle. On June 9th, a package was found taped to a stop sign at the corner of First and Kansas in Wichita. It had graphic descriptions of the Otero murders and a sketch labeled, The Sexual Thrill is My Bill. Also enclosed was a chapter list for a proposed book titled, The BTK Story, which mimicked a story written in 1999 by Court TV crime writer David Lohr. Chapter 1 was titled, A Serial Killer is Born. In July, a package dropped into the return slot at a public library contained more bizarre material, including the claim that he was responsible for the death of 19-year-old Jake Allen in Argonia, Kansas, earlier that month. This claim was false, and the death was ruled a suicide. After his capture, Dennis admitted in his interrogation that he had been planning to kill again, and he had set a date, October 2004, and he was stalking his intended victim. In October 2004, a manila envelope was dropped into a UPS box in Wichita. It had many cards with images of terror and bondage of children pasted on them. A poem threatening the life of lead investigator Lieutenant Ken Land Landwer and a false autobiography with many details about Dennis's life. These details were later released to the public. In December of 2004, Wichita police received another package from the BTK killer. This time, the package was found in Wichita's Murdoch Park. It had the driver's license of Nancy Fox, which was noted as stolen from the crime scene as well as a doll that was symbolically bound at the hands and feet and had a plastic bag tied over its head. In January of 2005, 
Dennis attempted to leave a cereal box in the bed of a pickup truck at a Home Depot in Wichita, but the box was discarded by the truck's owner. It was later retrieved from the trash after Dennis asked about what had become of it in a later message. Surveillance tape of the parking lot from that date revealed a dense, distant figure driving a black Jeep Cherokee leaving the box in the pickup. In February of 2005, more postcards were sent to KAKE, and another cereal box left at a rural location was found to contain another bound doll. In his letters to the police, Dennis asked if his writings, if put on a floppy disk, could be traced or not. The police answered his question in a newspaper ad posted, The Wichita Eagle, saying that it would be safe to use the disk. On February 16, 2005, Dennis sent a purple 1.4 megabyte Memorex floppy disk to Fox affiliate KSAS-TV in Wichita. Also enclosed were a letter, a gold-colored necklace with a large medallion, and a photocopy of the color cover of Rules of Prey, a 1989 novel by John Sanford about a serial killer. Police found metadata embedded in a deleted Microsoft Word document that was, unknown to Dennis, still stored on the floppy disk. The metadata contained the words, Christ Lutheran Church, and the document was marked as last modified by Dennis. An internet search determined that a Dennis Raider was president of the church council. When investigators drove by Dennis's house, a black Jeep Cherokee, the type of vehicle seen in the Home Depot surveillance footage, was parked outside. This was strong circumstantial evidence against him, but they needed more direct evidence to detain him. Police obtained a warrant to test a pap smear taken from Dennis's daughter at the Kansas State University Medical Clinic. DNA tests showed a familial match between the pap smear and the sample from Vicky's fingernails. This indicated that the killer was closely related to Raider's daughter, and combined with the other evidence was enough for police to arrest Dennis. Dennis was arrested while driving near his home in Park City shortly after noon on February 25, 2005. An officer asked, Mr. Raider, do you know why you're going downtown? Dennis replied, Oh, I have suspicions why. The Wichita Police, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and ATF agents searched Dennis's home and vehicle seizing evidence including computer equipment, a pair of black pantyhose retrieved from a shed, and a cylindrical container, the church he attended, his office at City Hall, and the main branch of the Park City Library were also searched. At a press conference the next morning, Wichita Police Chief Norman Williams announced the bottom line, BTK has been arrested. On February 28, 2005, Dennis was charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. Soon after his arrest, the Associated Press cited an anonymous source alleging that Dennis had confessed to other murders in addition to those with which he had been connected. However, the Sedgwick County District Attorney denied the story, 
yet refused to say whether Dennis had made any confessions or if investigators were looking into Raider's possible involvement in more unsolved killings. On March 5th, news sources claimed to have verified by multiple sources that Dennis had confessed to the 10 murders he was charged with, but no others. On March 1st, Dennis's bail was set at $10 million, and a public defender was appointed to represent him. On May 3rd, the judge entered a not guilty plea on his behalf, as Dennis did not speak at his arraignment. However, on June 27th, the scheduled trial date, Dennis changed his plea to guilty. He described the murders in detail, and he made no apologies. At his August 18th sentencing, victims' families made statements, after which Dennis apologized in a rambling 30-minute monologue that the prosecutor likened to an Academy Awards acceptance speech. His statement had been described as an example of an often observed phenomenon among psychopaths. Their inability to understand the emotional con content of language he was sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences with a minimum of 175 years. Kansas had no death penalty at the time of the murders. On August 19th, he was moved to the El Dorado Correctional Facility. Dennis talked about innocuous topics such as the weather during the 40-minute drive to El Dorado. But he began to cry when the victim's family statements from the court proceedings came on the radio. He is now in solitary confinement for his protection, with one hour of exercise per day and showers three times per week. This will likely continue indefinitely. Beginning in 2006, he was allowed access to, to television and radio, to read magazines and other privileges for good behavior. Following his arrest, police in Wichita, Park City, and several surrounding cities looked into unsolved cases with the cooperation of the state police and the FBI. They particularly focused on cases after 1994, when the death penalty was reinstated in Kansas. Police in surrounding states, such as Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado, Oklahoma, and Texas, also investigated cold cases that fit Raiders' pattern to some extent. The FBI and local jurisdictions at Dennis's former duty stations checked into unsolved cases during Raiders' time in this service. After exhaustive investigations, none of these agencies discovered any further murders attributable to Dennis Raider, supporting early suspicions that he would have taken credit for any additional murders that he had committed. As a result, the ten known murders were at that point believed to be the only murders for which Dennis was actually responsible, although Wichita police are fairly certain that Dennis stalked and researched a number of other potential victims. This includes one person who was saved when Dennis called off his planned attack upon his arrival near the target's home due to the presence of construction and road crews nearby. Dennis stated in his police interview that there are a lot of lucky people, meaning that he had thought about and developed various levels of murder plans for many 
other victims. Our next story is the long-awaited return of listener stories. I'm always accepting listener stories, and this one comes from Kelly C. from YouTube. So let's just get into her story. In 1992, I moved into a small basement apartment in Nampa, Idaho. Back then, rent was cheap, and I just started a a new job, so I was borderline broke. My upstairs neighbors were a quite odd couple I never had problems with. My living situation was mundane for a couple months, and then things got interesting. I woke up to see a long, skinny man-shaped thing made up of swirling black clouds. It had no eyes, yet it could still see me. It was hovering over me. The creepiest part was he was tilting his head up and down like he was looking between my body and my face. Then he started to lower. Instinctively, I yelled at him to get off of me, and he flew backwards into the wall behind me. As he faded away, his form looked gray and smaller, more transparent, yet he never took his eyes off of me. Fast forward to three weeks later and the incident that made me move out after only five months. I woke up this time because I felt somebody sitting on the bed. It felt physical, like a solid person. My feet even rolled into them. I panicked, but I was too scared to move. I knew that he was looking down at me. Somehow, I broke free of the frozen position and I jerked up, and there was no one there. One day... I talked to the landlord, and he admitted that some guy had killed himself there years ago. I wish every state had haunting clauses. It might have been the same guy who stalked me when he was alive two years prior. I'd lived in another apartment right behind it, where he was a peeping Tom for months. I even caught him running away, hunched over from my bedroom window after a phone call. The guy was young probably in his early 20s. I was in my mid-20s. Then one day, the stalking stopped. That was the day that I heard the sirens. The day the ambulance came to carry three bodies out from the apartment just three doors down from me. The cops wouldn't tell me anything, but my landlady told me this young guy had killed two women and then himself. I was in shock. I hadn't heard a scuffle of any kind, no screaming or gunshots. The last time something happened was when, was when I babysat for my sister who moved into the same complex in 1995. I was waiting for her to get home so I could leave since it was almost one in the morning. Suddenly, I saw a faint shadow stand behind the lamp across the room. The light dimmed and brightened slowly three times. He was back. Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing that story with us. And I hope that you share more in the future, because that one did kind of end with a cliffhanger. 
Now, if anyone has a story that they would like to share, even if it's just a scary story that you wrote for fun, I would love to share it, fiction or nonfiction. Just email Ohio underscore unsolved at yahoo.com to be featured in a future episode. But that is going to do it for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed the stories. If you did, could you please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? A five-star rating really helps others to find the show. Don't forget to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. But once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep those doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved. <laughs>